Welcome to Outside the Tank, the first podcast in the world that interviews the entrepreneurs featured on Shark Tank. We get the inside scoop on how they got there, what lessons they learned, their biggest regrets, what didn't air on TV, what has happened to them since, and so much more. Prepare to be informed, inspired, and entertained. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. Welcome to Outside the Tank. I'm Tom. I'm Joe. Joe. Right over here. All right. We are... (laughs) <laughs> slowly upgrading our studio for those that are watching the uh, YouTube show. And if you're listening, uh, you don't know what we're talking about, nor do you probably care. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, I have to start out by issuing an apology. Two. I didn't even tell you this yet. What? So uh, one of our first couple episodes, I must have said something along the lines of, uh, in all of our listeners across the country, a guy in Australia that was listening sent me an email. Oh, yeah. And he said, hey, you got listeners all over the world, so stop saying country. We're not only bad and nationwide, we're international. We're international. OTT is so international. So to everyone listening <laughs> across the world, thank you for your support. And make sure to hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or wherever you're watching this. Give us a five-star rating if you like what we're doing. Share it. And make sure to tell your friends. <laughs> we, we appreciate the support. So let's get down to business here. Howie Bush of Dude Robe. He's a dude, and he invented a robe for dudes. So it's a guy's robe. <laughs> there's a hoodie component. There's pants or shorts. And at the time of uh, airing, he had just launched the product via Kickstarter. So this is Season 9, Episode 16, January 14th of 2018. What happened? Well, he, he raised 65000 on Kickstarter. We'll learn a little bit about that. Um, he had manufacturing issues. We'll learn a little bit about that, too. There's a story there. But everyone, every one of those sharks went out. And so you would think that he's out of business, right? <laughs> let let me just be honest. We were nervous going into our conversation with Howie because we thought, you know, this this may not have ended well. <laughs> but it, well, we won't give it away. But all the sharks went out. Uh, he did not get a deal on the show. But we're going to find out what happened after the tank, outside the tank. Great guy from Long Island. I love these New York guys. They always have great stories. He's got a he's got a couple of them he's going to share. But uh, yeah, I can't wait to get into this and, and have you take a look. So thanks for listening. Uh, we're excited to be here. We're so excited to share this interview. This was a lot of fun. Yep. So let's go to our interview with Howie Bush. All right, we're here with Howie Bush of. Dude Robe. Dude Robe. Howie, <laughs> welcome to Outside the Tank. Thanks for having me. Great to be here, guys. All right, let's let's start right at the top. Where did this idea come from? Because it, it, it got glossed over on the show, but we want the whole story about where you came up with this idea and how you turned it into a business. Yeah, so, you know, before I ended up, before I came up with the idea, I had, for the past, like, five years before that, and I, yeah, let's say three, four years before that, I was developing products. So I would come up with ideas. I would develop into a certain point, you know, develop some intellectual property, and then I would just license it out. 
And that was the MO that I was going with. And I really liked it. I would collect royalties. I didn't want to hold inventory. I didn't want to do, you know, manufacture, bring goods into the country. Uh, and so in that time, I came up with an idea. I'm, I'm in the shower and I see my wife in her bathrobe getting ready for work. And I'm like, man, she looks comfortable. I like to be comfortable, but I'm not wearing a robe because I'm just not a robe guy. That was my thought process. And then for the next like two weeks, every day I'd be in the shower, she'd be getting ready in her robe. And I'm like, what would I wear? What could I do? You know, I'm sitting there, I'm a product developer. Let me come up with a solution. I'm like, what if it was a towel? Would I wear that? I'm like, yeah, that's not that cool. And then one day, two weeks into this thought, this like brain I'm living in, I, I see a hoodie hanging next to her bathrobe. I'm like, if I put a hoodie and a towel together, that could be kind of cool. So I literally get out of the shower, get dressed, run to Walmart, buy six towels, and I take it to my tailor who's done other stuff for me for like some of my other products. I said, can you make a hoodie and pants out of this? A week later, I had my first prototype. I'm like, you know what? This is pretty cool. Like it actually came out better than I expected. I should send you guys a picture if I could find it of me in it in his uh, at the tailor's place. But that was where the idea came up. And then I'm like, now what? Like, I can't license this. So I decided if I'm going to do something with this, I should do it as a Kickstarter because I'll see if there's a something there. And I was also coaching other um, product developers and inventors on how to get their product to market, usually through licensing. I'm like, you know what? I should probably learn how to do a Kickstarter anyway and see what it's all about. And this product can rise above the noise on a Kickstarter. So that's kind of, that's, that's where the journey started, man. All all because of a good shower. Tell, tell us what you learned from the Kickstarter campaign, because we've heard a lot of you know, great, great backstories about Kickstarter, what you learned, what it did for you. What, what was your learning curve on that? Well, what was really interesting. So, you know, I didn't know I'm, I'm not the youngest cat in town, you know, I'm up towards your age. All right. So, so, you know, Kickstarter, like me and my friends, like I know, I knew what Kickstarter was. I said to all my friends when I was thinking about doing it, I'm like, and you know, to succeed in Kickstarter, you have to bring your own people to the party. They have to start, to get to get things going, right. and and my uh, my friends were like yeah I know Kickstarter I'm like well what is it what do you think it is? Half of them thought they were investing in your company. Half of them thought it was like a charitable donation. They didn't realize that you're actually just giving a like a pre order for a product. So um, I had to educate my people and I involved them in the journey. And I would say one of the best things I did was involving my like my social my personal network as well as my professional i i was involving them early on in here's what i'm doing here's like the logo i'm thinking about doing here's the colors i'm doing what do you guys think blah 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 and they were pretty invested by the time i launched um they were pretty invested in it so i hit my funding goal in two days uh and literally one week into, this was the launch of my company, right? The launch of the Kickstarter was the launch of the company. One week into the launch of the campaign, I get a direct Twitter message from somebody saying, basically says, hey, love it. I'm the head of casting of Shark Tank. Let's talk. <laughs> I, I remember I was in, I was in um, the high school. My daughter was getting some sort of award. 
and I see I'm sitting it, I'm sitting there and I'm, I get this. And I'm like, there is no way this is the actual, the head of casting. Like I've lived in the production world in my past. Like I was a, a sports agent and a broadcasting agent. And I knew like there are tons of casting companies that, that are involved with, whether it's Shark Tank or other shows, it's not, it's often enough, not an exclusive for one. And I looked it up when I got home, I'm like, wow, it really is the head of casting for Shark Tank. Spoke to her and uh, anyway, you know, I ended up like three months into my company going and pitching the Sharks. But but all of this was because I took that first step and got my stuff together and put it on Kickstarter. Without that, um, you know, all I could, you could say, I launched my campaign in June. Who launches a bathrobe in June? <laughs> I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it in January, February was my goal. But you know, when you're, you guys know this, when you're doing a business, things happen, whether samples don't come in on time or your video takes longer than you think, or, you know, getting the good product shots, which is all of what you need to succeed. I could have waited till October, November. Maybe then I wouldn't have risen above the noise as much, right? Doing it in June and the head of casting a shark tank may not have reached out and we wouldn't be sitting here talking. Well, I, I think that's an important lesson, though, is that you have to put yourself out there as an entrepreneur. And it's it can be terrifying for people and people are afraid of failure and all the other stuff that gets in our head. You just seem like the type that says, you know, F it, I, I really don't care. But tell us about that, because I think that's an important lesson for people that are so nervous that they have to get their product perfect and they don't want people to see them fail. And, and they or don't take shots. Put, at them. Yeah, exactly. So what? Yeah. You know, what's your attitude on that? Because I think it's an important lesson for entrepreneurs. Yeah, I'm a big effort guy, to be honest with you. I always <laughs> have been. But but I also am somebody who, you know, in the past, I I had struggled at points with trying to get it perfect. Um, and one of the one of the biggest lessons when I was um, coaching other inventors, when I had time to do that, I would tell them. And I, I actually think I have an article, you know, people could look it up. Uh, I was writing for, um, I wrote one or two for Entrepreneur Magazine, and then I was writing for Inventors Digest. Uh, and I wrote about like, you can't wait for perfect. Perfect is the enemy. Um, you got to get it as good as you can. You know, it doesn't mean just like throw stuff out there and hope it happens, but be prepared, do the best you can. But at a certain point, you know, I, I forget what the saying is, where it came from, but like the, at a certain point, you got to ship right? Like you got to get it out there and you got to, you got to do it. And, you know, you really can't worry. There's always going to be haters out there. There's always going to be people who are going to take shots. You can't worry about that, right? Like you've got to do it. If you think you're doing the right thing and you think you have something, you know, you got to put it out and get feedback from other, other than your own head and other than like your, your wife, your sister, your brother, your cousin, whatever, because some of them will, will always give you negative and some of them will always give you positive. It's never going to be like the best, you know, um, like group to get advice or, or um, true feedback from. And those people often lie to you. That's what I mean. Yeah. That's why they're oh, not the honey, honey, it's great. Oh, it's so it, uh, what, a, what a fantastic idea. You're, well, that's you're, why, you're brilliant. That's why Cuban went out uh, on the, uh, of course, we saw uh, Two hours are probably edited down to 11 minutes, but that's why uh, Mr. Wonderful, I'm sorry, went out. He asked if your wife loved the product and uh, you said she loves it. He goes, I'm out then. <laughs> Do you know why he said that? Do you know why he said that? It was actually pretty, it was pretty funny when he said it. So, 
So the store, one of the big stories, like, like I said, I used to be a sports agent and I used to do broadcasting deals, sport, you know, whatever. I had a lot of uh, NFL guys and I did a lot of uh, marketing and licensing deals. And I did, so some guy, I'll tell it to you. Do you guys know the story? I don't want to like bore you with a story you guys already know. Do you know the story? I don't think so. No. Right. So, and this is why Mr. Wonderful said what he said, which made it really funny, actually. Um, so when I, when I was an agent, I get a call from a guy who was working out of his grandmother's uh, basement. If you know it, stop me. And he's like, can you do my contract? I'm doing a contract with NFL Europe. Can you do, can you like negotiate my contract for me? And I'm like, sure, no problem. So I do the guy's contract. I liked his business. I liked the guy a lot. And he's like, listen, I could pay you the, whatever it was, $2,500 I owe you, or I can give you, you know, a couple of points in the company, you know, you know, what do you think? And I spoke to my wife, my son, who's now 24, had just been born. He was like under a year old, around a year old. And my wife's like, we have the baby, just take the money. This guy's working out of his grandmother's basement. Like, like, what do you think's gonna, <laughs> take the money. So I'm like, all right, yeah, you're right. You know what, I'll take the money. So I ended up taking the money. That was Kevin Plank of Under Armour. So Mr. Wonderful was like, your wife doesn't have the best instincts. You know, she loves it. I'm out. You know what? That was alluded to on the uh, on on what aired, and I wanted to ask you about that. So, true story. Uh, you passed on the equity. <laughs> yeah. Did, did, didn't you guys have something I could fill out that said, "Please don't bring this up"? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't think I can at all. No, but that's okay. So that's why he asked the question because that was not clear on TV. But that's that was the genesis of it is him saying, "Okay, well, if your wife likes it, then okay." Yeah, um, yeah. Like, so, she'll not have good radar for that. Well, how how was the experience in general for you? I mean, are you happy with how it went? Were you upset you didn't get a deal? Here's what I'll tell you. When I left to go on, I told my wife and friends. I am 75% unlikely to get a deal, 25% likely. And the 25% likely was because I figured I was charming and charismatic enough that I might be able to get a deal, which clearly is not true. I am not nearly as charismatic or charming as I thought I was. So um, no, I didn't, here, here's what I'll really tell you. I didn't expect to get a deal. I knew, listen, they reached out to me. I, was a, I just told you it was a week into my company. When I went to film three months in, it's a Kickstarter. I still didn't have my goods in the country yet. So all I was going on was a Kickstarter campaign that did like a Kickstarter and then a subsequent Indiegogo that I was up to like $80,000 total, which is fine. It was good. But if I, if I went on today, I would probably get a deal. I get why I didn't get a deal. And I truly didn't expect to get a deal. Yet when I walked out of there, I was upset that I didn't get a deal and, I, <laughs> and it took me a week and I'm telling you, so, so I don't know if you saw the episode, but I had a Butler. Yeah. Don't ask. They wanted me to have a Butler. It was, it was my best friend from law school. And um, we were talking afterwards and I'm like, I don't know why I'm upset. Like I didn't expect to get a deal yet. I'm still upset. Like I think there's like an ego part of it that's involved that you're like, like first you're just happy to be there. Right. Then you're just, you, you know, you think, okay, let me see if I can get a deal. And when you don't, I don't know, it felt like I was like a sucker punch. I had a week of being like really depressed about it. And I'm not a depressed 
person, but it really impacted me. It was very strange. And then you're just hoping you air, which is crazy. Like you just don't know this whole thing is such a, I'm sure you've heard it a million times. Like the numbers are astounding when they tell you, at least my year was like 40,000 people apply. I'm rounding numbers, but let's say 200, 160 to 200 go film and a hundred will air. That's, this is how I looked at it. A quarter of 1% of people who apply will air. And then what are your, what are your thoughts on these people? We've talked to people that, you know, didn't even apply. Like, do you hate them? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I, I didn't apply either. That's what I'm I saying. I know, I know. That's what, that's what I'm saying. I'm yeah. like, and then, and then how do you feel? Well, what about these guys that didn't even apply? But <laughs> well, that's my point. I didn't apply. So I, listen, you're I, playing and, with house money. That's a, People say to me, why would you go, A, they'll say, why didn't you wait? I'm like, this isn't like I can defer it like a college decision, you know, yeah, like, yeah. like, who knows if my business is still going, who knows if Shark Tank is still going, like, if they're asking me to come, I'm coming, getting a deal or not, this was, it was still an incredible experience, I have zero, zero regrets. So January 14th, 2018, it airs, those first couple of days, what were they like for you in the business? Well, so let me let me take you back to right before that. So you don't know if you're going to air, and because it, like if I was in a, like a going company, it's not as bad, right? If I was in business for a year or two years, my website's ready, I've inventory, and I've all that. My goods still weren't in the country in December, and and like I said, you don't know if you're going to air. Like of us who shot, they said one third will air, one third won't air, two thirds will air. I'm like. I don't know if I'm going to air. I didn't get a deal. I wasn't that close to getting a deal. Like, I don't know. Will I air? Will I not air? So, and because I didn't have goods in the country, I didn't even have a website up yet. So they then, my goods get into the country December 7th. I get an email from them like December 20 something that you're airing in two weeks. So now I'm like trying to ship all of my Kickstarter people. Now I got to go first build a website. Like I didn't even have a website up. So I aired at, I think it was nine o'clock on January 14th. Was that what you said? Yeah. yeah. Nine o'clock on January 14th. My website was ready at eight o'clock on January 14th. <laughs> That's how close it was. And, and so right afterward, it was definitely overwhelming. Like we had a party that night at my friend's gym and, you know, whatever, like 50 or whatever people, 50, 60 of us were there um, pre-COVID. So it was okay. Uh, and it was, you know, it was definitely a bit of a whirlwind. And I got to tell you, like we ran through inventory pretty quickly. And so the next like month or two was me trying to get in new, new inventory, me trying to like get people not to be upset. And they waited. People were, people were great. I was very fortunate that people were, were very cool about everything. I have a question actually about uh, the airing. This was sticking in my oh, good. mind. It's a podcast. That's what we do. We ask questions. <laughs> yeah. you actually, preface it. actually yeah. you get mad when I just make statements. So you like when I ask questions. I do. <laughs> it's uh, Howie. Sometimes he's like, have uh, you ever seen the Chris Farley skit where it's like, uh, he's telling Paul McCartney, you remember when you were uh, in the Beatles? That was awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, yes. I have to rein him in on that sometimes and say, you know, yeah, yeah. Howie knows he was on Shark Tank. He, he knows, uh, what, what Cuban said to him, he was there. So just ask the, the ask the question. Hey, remember when you passed on that stock, Howie? Yeah. <laughs> you did that to him, exactly. Oh, come on. 
Okay. So, uh, full disclosure, I was in the Shmata business for two and a half years. Uh, and I name dropped on fleece for ski resorts as part of that business. So I have a little experience, not the experience level you have. I knew enough to get out. But my question comes from the comment that Damon made. He felt like you're in the middle in terms of your pricing. And I wonder if that resonated and that proved to be true or what you thought about that comment in terms of your product. Thank you. Hey, my partner thinks that's a great question. That was a good question. I think it's a great, I think it's a great question. I think the funny thing is that you think you being in the Shmata business for two and a half years is is not anywhere near as long as I've been in it. I've been in it for like three years. Like, <laughs> what, what do I know? <laughs> so, so what I'll tell you is, uh, first of all, Cuban actually said that to me. I don't know if that aired or not. He's like, so you know, they they ask you your whole background, and I'm like, yeah, I was a sports agent. I went through the whole. Some of the, you know, I did the World Series and a broadcasting agent. I did the World Series of poker deals and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and the Under Armour thing. And he's like, he's like, and now you're in the Schmata business. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I guess so. So I don't look at it like I'm in the Schmata business. Like I consider like I have a more of like a brand. But um, what's interesting is I like they, they all have to have a reason to go out, right? Like they have to give a reason. I think that reason is kind of absurd because in name a product, right? Name a product category. There's low price things, there's middle tiered things, and there's high price things. That's like saying all middle tiered things can't succeed, which of course that's crazy, right? Like there are plenty of middle tier. Let's use Banana Republic as a good example, right? Like forget wherever they are now with retail and all that, but you know, you have low, you have the Walmarts, lower price and targets, the lower price retailers, you have the, the banana republics of the world, and then you have the high tier. Could they not succeed because they were in middle tier? I, uh, so, so I don't find that to be true. I do, I do run into um, pricing issues in my head in terms of my robe costs like $100, let's call it just under $100 right now. Um, and you can buy the pants and shorts with it. I I like I've had people say, why don't you raise the price? I feel like there's a there's a threshold there for my product as it exists for the audience that I'm hitting. Um, and so and that might just be in my head, mind you, like there, the, you know, the world is littered with people who say, oh, I can't raise my price. I can't do it. And then they raise it and they sell way more than they were because there's a higher perceived value. So, you know, that's something that you're constantly testing. And and I'm always I'm not smart enough to do it, but I have people who will test that for me. Um, and and so pricing and, and what you charge for shipping, all those things end up being being tested. But I am not a big believer in that thought process. Gotcha. How's the business changed since you aired? I mean, what what looks differently? What's still the same? Give us the you know the the abbreviated version of what the past three years have been like for you. Yeah. So, so I can't tell you what changed since airing because I didn't have a business before airing, right? I literally didn't. And, and what's funny is, you know, the Shark Tank thing kind of bullied me into continuing with the business. This, was, this is what I said to myself before I launched the Kickstarter. Now, in my head, I'm like, this thing is brilliant. This is the greatest idea ever. I could do $25,000 or I can do a million dollars. That's what I thought. I'm like, anything can happen with this. And I ended up and I said, 
if I do 50, 000, up to $50,000, I don't have a business. If I do 100,000 or more, I have a business. In the middle is a bit of a no man's land. And that's where I ended up, in no man's land. And so I, I could have gone either way with it, right? Like, do I just go on what I was doing or do I push this thing? And once Shark Tank happened, you almost feel as crazy as it is, it's so public, you're kind of pushed into it in a way, like psychologically, you're doing it to yourself, but you, you feel it and you feel like, you know what? You should ride the momentum also. And so even though most of the companies that go on Shark Tank are already businesses that have been existing, mine wasn't that. Um, and so the first two years in business were kind of interesting. I, um, I kept running into a problem as a direct to consumer company. I don't know how into the, um, details you guys want me to get on this. So this is great. Our, you know, our target audience is entrepreneurs that want to learn. And so, you know, it's not, this is not a fan podcast. You know, this is very much, we want entrepreneurs to listen to your story, listen to your lessons and, and be able to apply them to their businesses. Yeah, the, the so nuts, this is great. The, the nuts and bolts of the business are phenomenal. Get in, get audience. in the weeds, please. All right. All right. So, so, you know, I struggled, including in my Kickstarter campaign, as a direct-to-consumer company, you need to, to succeed. You really need to bring people to your website or to your Kickstarter page or whatever, right? You have to drive that traffic. You gotta, like if you're, if you're in retail stores, they do it for you, so you don't have to do it. But direct-to-consumer, you've got to bring them to your website. And typically that's, or and certainly over the past few years, that's Facebook ads and Google to a degree, but even more Facebook because people don't know about you so you have to drive them there. And so I was able to drive people. I was never able, including my Kickstarter campaign, to get conversion for my first two years in business. And so I would, on and off, I would do um, Facebook ads with different agencies who would promise me results. Oh, we could get you to do it. And I would not get results. And, and so um, I would stop doing that. And so my website became... The, the least pro, like uh, revenue generating part of my business, I, I would then, you know, I, I was doing Amazon where I would do pretty well. And then I was doing, are you guys familiar with Touch of Modern? Yes. yes. Okay. So for people who don't know, it's a very male skewing, um, cool products for guys, uh, flash deal site, let's call it. And I started doing deals on, on Touch of Modern. And every time I would do a deal on Touch of Modern, I would sell out. I mean, it would be like through the roof. It was like crazy. And I became one of their top, like they said, I was like, uh, I forget what it's called. Like, uh, let's just say it was the top 10% of vendors, right? It was like top of touch or modern or something like that. And which was great. And that gave me the confidence that even though over those two years, I wasn't able to get Facebook ads to convert. I knew if I like if like I should have left the business like two years in, I'm not like my sales aren't, it's not like hitting where I want it to hit. You know, I'm of a certain age that, you know, I don't need to waste my time with it if it's not going to be fruitful. But I knew because of what I was seeing in Touch of Modern, if I hit the right audience with the right price point, the right messaging, it would resonate and I would succeed. And I just needed to get that to um, work between my Facebook ads and my website and all of that. And, but in those two years, and again, this brings us what, what I'm saying brings me to, um, let's say March, February, March of last year of 2020. So, um, 
I was, I had all these different athletes who were wearing it. I had NBA teams who were ordering it. So like I had a lot of really cool stuff going on, but fast forward. And again, well, fast forward to early last year, basically a year ago. And I had a conversation with one of my Shark Tank friends, which we should talk about this because you may hear this, you may have heard this from other Shark Tank people, but the most valuable asset you get from being on Shark Tank is that community that we have like this private Facebook group of like five to 600 of us where we help each other and we serve as each other's um, for not only sounding ideas off of, but what's working for you, introductions, so many of the things, including what I'm about to say, one of my Shark Tank friends was like, hey, I've got a guy who's getting my Facebook ads to convert for the first time. And his product is somewhat similar to mine or the most similar I could of what I've seen. Um, and he put me in touch with him. And then all of a sudden, my Facebook ad started to convert. And, and what happened was I ended up, he ends up then tweaking my website. And what I never gave credit to was how your website needs to work in conjunction with how you build your funnel of your, of your flows of your emails and how that all ties in together. And he started doing my Google ads and my Facebook ads and, and tying my whole messaging together and optimizing my website. And all of a sudden things start tying together much better. So you're not just bringing people to your website and kind of hoping they buy, but your funnel of your emails, your flows, your abandoned cart flows, your, your, they looked at this page or they watched this much of a video, your targeting, all of that, it was unbelievable. And my, my revenues between, um, you know, 2019, 2020 uh, went up 8x. And, and mind you, I'm not an idiot, right? I realize we're in a pandemic and of course people want comfortable clothes, but there is permanence to what has been built because of how it now has been built. And it took me longer than I care to admit, even though I'm admitting it here, that it took me a good two years to get to this point because I found the right person. But I also found the right person only because I continue to, A, speak to my network and I continue to test and had faith because of that touch of modern um, experience that I saw it would work there. So it's interesting. Most people uh, don't understand how difficult digital marketing is, and you could spend weeks, months, even years trying to figure it out, but the, the vein that you hit on Touch of Modern with those flash sales, that represented uh, faith for you. So all you had to do was find some agency that could, that could really emulate that look-alike audience and tune up some other things. So I, my question is though, last year, how much of the buoy uh, that you got in sales was simply because dudes were staying home. Yeah. I, at the end of the day, I don't know how to, um, you know, parse that out and figure out what's attributed to that and what's not. Um, I will say that, look, it's a very giftable item. I, I would say the things we put in place have permanence to it because now, now guys may have tried it more because of that. Buoy, right? And I appreciate you giving me the up signal to show me what you <laughs> meant. <laughs> but, but um, you know, I I don't know, right? Like we, we'll we'll probably never know. But like I said, the way this has been built, there's permanence to it because of um, 
of the reaction that guys have had. I will tell you, I'm blown away. Of course, not everybody loves it. There are people who, just like anything, right? There's the 80-20 principle. I have 80 to 90% of people who not only like Dude Robe, but if you look at my reviews and the emails that I get, it's almost like weirdly um, passionate people about it. Like I don't get overly passionate about apparel. Like if I like, I work out. So if I'm, if I, I really happen to like Lululemon um, athletic stuff for working out and I like it. I really like it, but I'm not going to like write this thing that, Oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm thrilled that, that people feel (laughs) as passionately as they do. But I think my point being, I think that, there's a lot of permanence to that because they like the product. If the product w- didn't stand up, I think that buoy would just, it would end. And, and I don't think we're going to see that. We don't know yet because we're not out of it fully. Um, but, but I do believe it started before, like the, up, the big uptick started before that, but really continued. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you something else. Again, in terms of having um, a group around you, and I think you guys can appreciate this more than anybody having a group around you. Like and when I'm talking about like my shark tank group. So my fulfillment center came from my shark of shark tank connection, my marketing guy, my, one of my shark tank friends has a very successful, his own shark tank, successful company. He's ridiculously gifted at the whole digital marketing and email. He started doing my email um, marketing in December. My, my, customer return rate. I was like 10%. I'm like, what's my real lifetime value to my customer? A dude buys a robe. He buys it once in five years. So, so what am I? Okay. Is he going to buy a sh- pair of shorts, pair of pants? Maybe, but they, they often enough buy it all together anyway. So what am I going to, you know, what's my lifetime value? I was wrong. So he came in instead of now last year, we were 10% um, lifetime value. So far this year, we're 20, I don't mean lifetime value, uh, returning customer rate. So far this year, because of the emails, we're at 25% because people buy it as gifts. So <clears throat> we're really looking at, you're looking at it and saying, hey, some buying habits have changed. People have adopted my brand and become very passionate about it. And the intention there is let's ride that, that wave. It's now a lifestyle uh, business for them and for you. And I'll add something to it, if you don't mind, that I think is is kind of interesting. So my my uh, customer base was pretty much 65, 35 men to women, right? It makes sense. Women, women often will buy for men, right? They'll buy for their husbands, boyfriends, sons, whatever. Um, they're often the, the main purchaser, especially of apparel. Um, and so 65, 35 men to women. In gift giving time, it would often become 50-50 or even 60-40 women to men. Okay. Through another one of my Shark Tank friends, I end up doing Good Morning America deals and steals. And I sold out a lot of inventory in like five hours. It was it was crazy. It was like a feeding frenzy. Um, and I, I was really blown away by that. And people told me, my Shark Tank friend said... There are two things like, first of all, you have to give it at 50% off. And so, and then there's another fee involved. So there's very little margin. So I wasn't, you have to have enough margin to be able to afford to do it. 
But they also said, you'll also get a bump on your website for at regular cost, and you'll get a bump on Amazon for regular cost, which I did. And so it was profitable for me. What I didn't take into account, so remember, the, the Good Morning America audience is, let's call it 90-10 women to men. Not my audience, right? You would say, not my audience. So we sold out in five hours, which I was blown away. I didn't, I didn't fully expect that. And then we took that audience of 90-10 women to men, and we did a lookalike audience into Facebook. And that audience bore so much fruit. And no one told me that. This, is, this was like the hidden value of going on to a show like that, where I didn't have a lot of margin at the end of the day. But the real value was getting that audience and doing lookalike audiences. So you're not marketing to them, you're marketing, so let's say I had a couple of thousand new customers and we make a lookalike out of it. My Facebook ads, those Facebook ads converted at a higher rate. So it brought down my, my customer acquisition cost and, and it was cheaper for me to advertise. And my um, demographic for Q4 last year, which was a great quarter for me, 90-10 women to men. Hmm. So right? don't, don't assume that there's only one target market for your product. Don't assume there's only one target market and don't only look at, well, I'm not going to make money on this deal. I'm not going to make enough margin on this deal. There, are, there might be other hidden benefits that are there, either that you didn't think through or you should try and think through it beforehand and not just look at it as so true. I think people often look at things very transactionally, right? Like, did I make money right then and right there versus what's the bigger broader um, implication of it. Well, which leads me into my second to last question, which is what's the strategy for you? You know, you look out to the next 12 to 18 months. What are you focused on as an entrepreneur to grow the business? Yeah, good question. So I'm, I'm working on right now uh, a capital raise um, to, to really expand. And I don't even know what I can say now and what I can't say, to be honest with you. But kind of a cool, a cool thing that I'm looking to do. You know, it's like another uh, crowdfunding type of thing. Um, so capital raise, because I, I see, um, I'm going to keep doing like Deuterob 1.0, let's call what I have right now is Deuterob 1.0. Um, it saved its own life. I've been sourcing some technical fabrics because when my marketing wasn't um, responding and all that, I'm like, let me get something that has actual benefits because I think benefits, me showing like a cooler robe, that's hard to really show. And that was Cuban's point, frankly, on Shark Tank. He was like, I get it. When I hold and touch this, I can feel it and I see the difference. But how are you going to get that across in e-commerce? And frankly, he was right for two years. I struggled with that. Over the last year, we figured some things out. But I also decided I'm going to source a fabric, which I have, that's got actual benefits to it. So my version 2.0, and that's what I'm working on right now, is expanding the product line out, like of not just robes and shorts and pants, but also um, offering something that has benefits to it. So um, those are the things that I'm spending a lot of time on right now, and including obviously working on version 1.0 and and you know expanding that as much as possible and different partnerships. Um, I have I have the biggest agencies in sports reaching out to me. I have athletes reaching out who, you know, want custom ones or, you know, they see athletes when an athlete gets one and I customize it for them and we're going to 
we're working on a custom application also for, for, you know, our consumers, but the athletes love it and they'll put it out on their Instagram story and then other athletes see it. So I've got um, a bunch of different initiatives I'm working on, right? There's a custom, there's a um, like technical fabric that we're sourcing and going to launch soon. There's the, the, the um, equity piece that we're working on and, and capital raise. Um, and, and we're going to introduce dude robe for her, which someone might say, a, a cynical person might say, you're called dude robe. Well, what I'll tell you is, I'll tell you two things. Women ask for it all the time. And some women buy them or steal them from their boyfriends. We get, I get emails and reviews saying that. But women, like, I believe being a dude is way more about your attitude than it is about your gender. Even though we, like, from a marketing perspective, of course, calling it a guy's robe, like, that's how we rose above the noise. But at the end of the day, there were things, I don't know if you guys remember, like boyfriend sweatshirts and hoodies and things like that. That's what dude robe really is, right? It's it's for anybody. This was it, it started out as a marketing thing, but but the truth is, and there were some aspects of it that made it that. But the truth is, there's no reason women can't uh, wear these, and so we're gonna make some different sizes and things like that, so that it's uh, more um, unisex. There's probably quite a few that have uh, transitioned spots on college campuses over the years. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So you've such a great story, but in your words, what can an entrepreneur learn from your story and, and your experience over the past few years? Um, you know, I think, I think one of them we hit on earlier is don't wait for perfect, like get it as good as you can and get it out there and you'll iterate as you go. Like, even though you think you've got it perfect, trust me, things will change. You may think uh, it could be anything. It could be the fabrication of something. It could be what you call it. You know, like when I was uh, coming up with ideas before Dude but I was licensing them out. I remember I came up with an idea. I'm like, this is the perfect name for it. I trademarked the name. I spent money on that. And I'm like, I, I then licensed it. And they're like, yeah, we're not keeping your name. I'm like, well, why not? That name is perfect. And they're like, yeah, we like the name, but it doesn't work because we put it in airports and people need to get it right away and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. So meanwhile, that product is still sold in airports around the world, which is kind of cool, but not with the name that I trademarked. So like, even though you think something's perfect, just be flexible, be adaptable. And and I, I think it's really important, um, what I alluded to or, or stated earlier was, you know, having this... I'll call it a mastermind, but having this, this group of Shark Tank entrepreneurs, um, you may not have, like other people who haven't been on Shark Tank don't have that luxury or ability to have a group of Shark Tank entrepreneurs, but you can certainly get into a group of other like-minded entrepreneurs who are going through similar things, who can not only help you with, don't do this, do that, here's a good fulfillment center if you're looking for a fulfillment center, or many, many other things that can save you time, money, and energy. Like you, you really need to, you can't live on an island, right? You can't be sitting there by yourself. You need to be, although I live on Long Island, you, you, uh, you know, you really need uh, to discuss things with other people and hear their thoughts and things like that. And, and, I think it only it only helps you. The more you talk to people, the more it helps you. Now, does Howie know what we do for a living? Yeah, I don't, I don't even know. You, 
you, you just described our business and it was like you were reading off uh, our, our copy on our website. <laughs> well, in fairness, I did look it up before, but also in fairness, I wouldn't say it if I didn't believe it because that is, it is true. Like if you ask, this is what I'll tell you. If you ask 90%, I'm making up numbers, but if you ask 90% of people who've been on Shark Tank, what's the best thing about being on Shark Tank? Of course, there's the notoriety and the credibility and the sales. Yeah. But for most, it's it's the um, being in this group and having this mastermind and being able to um, use each other. Like we have like literally I've gotten deals because of people in there. People in there have gotten deals because of me. And and it is such a incredible thing when you have people who are willing to help. And, you, you know, but what I'll say is if you're going to be part of a group, your goal should always be to try and give more than you take. I find, at least with inventors and product developers, they live in their own minds more than anybody. And they're much more about, they expect you to give them and give them and give them. They don't think about how they should try and give first or, and it doesn't, doesn't always have to be an equivalent exchange, right? Like if, let's just say um, that Joe, you and I, you, you know, in, in the case with you and I, you're giving something to me but I may give something to Tom. Like you don't like, it doesn't have to be, you know, a zero sum game between two people. But if you go in with that mindset, I think you'll get more. If you go in with the mindset of how can I give and what can I do to help? Well, and it's, it's interesting because we, you know, we talked to a lot of entrepreneurs that weren't on Shark Tank and, you know, 90% or more don't have what you just described. You know, they are on that lonely island by themselves. They're trying to figure this stuff out. They don't have anyone to push them, help them, point them in the right direction. And, you know, this stuff's tough enough, even when you have friends and family and a support system. So if you really are by yourself, this can be a a lousy way to make a buck. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and it is so much of it is your mentality. I do think a lot of, and I don't know if you're, if your guys, you know, your group of people, is like this too, but inventors and entrepreneurs are so closed off and they're so afraid. And part of the reason they're on an island is part of it is a lot of McCorky, but part of it is that they're so afraid someone's going to steal their idea and they're so afraid someone's going to take it and run with it. And it's like, like you just said it, this stuff is hard enough. Like I, and I started out like that to a degree. I had graphic designers signing um, NDAs and all, what I realized is all that does is slow up your process. You see how hard it is to get anything done as a business. And I'm not saying just start yelling it from the top of the rooftop to everybody. Be careful. Be smart about it. But you can't think everybody you're going to talk to is going to steal your idea. Like that's that's just a kiss of death. Like that's what keeps you huddled in and not talking to people. You got to disabuse yourself of that notion, you know? Yeah, we see people that are, are like that with their ideas, their products, their inventions. They're also like that with their intellectual property. And they think like their ideas or their book, like they invented this stuff. No, you just have a different spin on something that's been around far longer than you. So yeah, it's a scarcity um, mentality that we don't, uh, we don't embrace. So right. last thing, where can people buy the product? And then where can they follow you on social media? DudeRobe.com and all of my handles or what have you, or just at DudeRobe. Awesome. So we know it's a good interview when both of us have our pages full of notes. So the entrepreneur listening to this is absolutely going to take some some great stuff away from it. 
Awesome story. Love to hear what's going on. We can't wait to follow the journey of, of what comes next, and we'll certainly be with you. So, Howie, thank you for your time and your wisdom. This was an awesome interview. We appreciate it. Well, let me, let me before we finish, let me ask you a question. How can I help you guys? Right? Let's talk about giving, right? If I'm going to come in here with, it, with that expectation and I'm going to preach it, I got to practice it. You know, I think the thing for us is our, we're in the business of putting entrepreneurs together to help each other with their businesses. So if there's people out there that you know or are listening to this that want to grow their business and like how he said, don't want to be sitting on that lonely island trying to figure all this shit out for themselves, join a group of entrepreneurs that can help you, whether it's with us or someone else. But, you know, we're proud of the, the community and and platform that we've put together for really nice people that just want to grow their businesses and don't want to do it alone. So if you know anyone that falls in that category, we would certainly appreciate that. Appreciate you asking, Howie. Yeah, of course. And you didn't tell me we could fucking curse on this thing. <laughs> I know, I know. You know, we're, we, we're not, we don't have a bleep button anywhere. We can't bleep anything out. It's very hard for me to like edit out the cursing. So I, it just is part of my, uh, you know, how I speak, but I was doing it until you start dropping some bombs. <laughs> I know. And it's only early in the morning. You can imagine we're cussing like sailors by the afternoon out here. So, all right, Howie, thank you so much. We appreciate you. All right. Thanks guys. Nice to meet you both. How good was that interview? Loved it. Love him. Love the product. Uh, love his attitude. This is, Joe, this is, I mean, so as, as some of you listening know, and probably many of you don't, this is what Joe and I do all day. We, we talk to entrepreneurs. We help entrepreneurs. Uh, we're co-founders of a business called Growth 10 that's all about entrepreneurs getting together in a peer learning environment and helping each other grow faster, enjoy life, be present for their family, have fun make a little more money, scale their business, achieve whatever they want to. And, and we love our Growth 10 community and we love those peer tribes that they come together. Uh, and well, people, we, by the way, people think peer learning, when I use the term peer learning or peer advisory, people think it's brand new. It actually dates back to Benjamin Franklin. He put together peer Were learning. you in that group? I was in the group, yeah, with Ben. But uh, it is something that I think is really coming of age. Yeah, and so I, I bring that up because, you know, Joe and I, our, our passion is really nice people being able to grow their business, enjoy their life, and, and accomplish whatever it is they're looking for. So we love talking to a guy like Howie that is doing some really great yeah. stuff. And you just didn't know when you saw that show what happened. It, and this is an entrepreneur that's not taking no for an no, answer. No, he no. didn't care that he heard five no's. <laughs> he was determined to grow his business. So as we always do at the end of these episodes, after these great interviews, we take a bunch of notes. So we've got pages of notes and we love to share with you some of the big ideas, takeaways, lessons from these kick-ass entrepreneurs that we can share with you. So what do you have, Joe? Just a couple of things, and um, again, kind of a he's kind of a big screw it guy. I could put another word in there, but I'll just say screw it. He, you know, he didn't. He's non-phased by unplaused by anything that happens to him. Uh, he just has the ability to to bounce off of obstacles and figure out a way to move. In fact, um, he talked about hanging in there until he found 
solutions. He was willing to continue to ask the right questions until he found solutions. So, yeah, he, he really is a, a, a guy that has grit, very, very scrappy. Um, he also uh, said something to me that and we've heard from a lot of entrepreneurs in different ways. He, pre, he found very, very quickly that perfection was the enemy of progress. And he got himself away from that. And, and boy, that's a great lesson. And I, I, the, what I had written down was you can't wait for perfect. Can't wait for perfect. And he took a big leap, leap also with Kickstarter. He didn't know what he was doing there. And that was, I think that was uncomfortable for him, but it turned out to be something great in terms of both raising money, but more than that, really proving, proving to himself that he had a product that people wanted. All great stuff. Uh, you know, my notes, some of the same takeaways, obviously. I also liked, um, you know, we talked about pricing and I think some of the pushback he received was you can't be in the middle, right? You have to either be Nordstrom or you have to be Walmart. And he said, no, I, you can be in the middle. You know, there's not just two places that people buy. Everything doesn't have to be high end or low end. Um, and he's experienced success with that pricing. Um, you know, he found out like many entrepreneurs do that there are other use cases for the product. Dude Rowe, he's thinking dudes. And guess what? A lot of women wear these and they love them. So don't be so focused as an entrepreneur that you think there's only one demographic that's going to use your product or there's only one use case. Because so often, Joe, and we've had a lot of these conversations with um, the entrepreneurs on Shark Tank, and they say to us, we can't believe some of the feedback or reviews or posts we see on social media about people either using the product for different things or different types of people using them. Right. You, you can't fall in love with one silo or one product use. He also, and I, I failed to mention this, and I'm glad I remembered, he also views his business not as only a business. He views it as a brand, and that forces him to think about other product uses and other ways to uh, attract new eyeballs to dude rope. Yep. This was fun. Yeah. This is a good one. A lot of, lot of good stuff there. Really cool guy. I would love to have a beer with Howie Bush. In dude robes. In dude robes. Yeah. Sit, sit by your, sit by <laughs> your cigar. two dude robes. Light up a cigar. That's right. <laughs> so this was a lot of fun. Um, as always, subscribe, support the show, five stars. We appreciate Find all that stuff. Find a peer stuff. group with us or someone else. Find a peer group. Yeah, you know how we talked about that. He talked about the power of a mastermind and some of the things he's learned from people because the reality is it's a lot easier to go to your tribe, go to your peers and say, hey, I need help with this or do you know anyone that does that? It's a lot easier to do that than Googling and hoping you find someone that um, is legitimate. So, you know, whether you need something quick or you have a quick idea, or even if you have a major issue, we are huge proponents of peer learning. That's why we started Growth 10. And if you are an aspiring or current entrepreneur, uh, go to OutsideTheTank.com. Our upcoming book, it's almost ready to go, but you can sign up for a free copy in advance and we'll push that out the minute it's ready. Um, we also have some other cool stuff on there for entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurial so. Landmines is the working title. I yeah. love it. <laughs> We're excited. So thanks for listening. Another great episode of Outside the Tank and we'll see you next week. Next week.